Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. I'm so glad to be back with you here on this episode. Friends, I was so encouraged to be able to walk with you through some of these topics and some of these things. And I just wanted to take a pause out again. I kind of had a thought that I thought I would try to kind of bring some things together that we've talked about in the past. And some of those things I want to bring together, uh, whenever I approach this, I want to approach it from the aspect of when these are some things that I've learned to be able to understand myself and people better. And especially when trying to help someone, when trying to minister to someone, when trying to counsel someone, or even just trying to understand why is someone the way they are, I think about these things and it helps me to be able to rightly put them things in their place. The reason why is because a lot of times if we can understand people for who they are and where they've come from and how they see life, it helps us to be able to, for one thing, uh, be able to have a deeper relationship with them, uh, to be able to understand them for who they are, but also to be able to pray for them and to be able to minister to them and be able to challenge them. And because I do believe that God puts some of us in the place of being able to challenge other people in our families and in our churches. And so, but one of the things that has really helped me that I learned was to be able to understand someone's attachment style. And as we started talking about some of the types of codependencies, when we talked about Jonah, when we talked about Solomon, I really wanted to take another moment out this episode and talk about these attachment styles and why that is so important. I think you'll see in the end that we are, we develop attachment styles. Now, most people believe that attachment styles are already in place by the time we're four years old. And and even a lot of people from the ages of two and three years old, attachment styles are formed. But the experiences through attachment styles are continuing to be made throughout adolescence and even up into the teen years. But the attachment styles that we have, of course, when I talk about the attachment styles, I'm going to talk about the natural attachment styles, how we naturally were raised. Now, some people were saved at a young age, maybe, and, and they had a deep experience with God. But I think you and I could agree that most people probably don't really begin walking in faith and being close to God till after they're out of their own house. Not saying they aren't saved, not saying that they don't have a relationship with God, but really when all of your needs are met by someone else, by your parents, it's kind of difficult to truly have faith not in God uh, just meeting your needs. I know we have to trust him for our love, trust him for our help, trust him for our direction. But when your parents are paying your bills, it's a lot tougher to be able to have a genuine faith. So when people, when children get out of the house, when they make that switch, that transition over to college or out of the home, whatever it is, and, and kind of get off of most of the support of their parents, you start seeing these attachment styles really play out in their life. And a lot of times there's where children can really shipwreck their faith and make big mistakes not just in the flesh, but just because of their natural attachment styles. But I want to talk to you, first of all, about the ambivalent attachment style. Now, that ambivalent attachment style is basically the idea of having a mixed or contradictory idea about someone or mixed feelings about someone or an attachment style to some specific person. So ambivalent is a person that believes they're not worthy of love unless they perform adequately. So, 
they have to perform to be able to be loved because they're really not worthy of love. And this is a dangerous place to be because it's constantly trying to perform and try to gain love from people. And and when this is transferred over, especially into God, it's like if we don't perform perfectly, then we just want to throw it all away because we're not worthy of love. We can't do it. You know, we can't ever measure up, you know, especially in our relationship with God, we can't always dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And if we get into that idea uh, with people, we'll be disappointed because we'll never be able to perform enough. This ambivalent attachment style uh, was basically the idea that we get from David. And remember, David is a young man. He was kind of a type of ambivalent attachment style. As a young man, they were calling for a, for a young man. And uh, when Samuel came to the home, he said, I'm going to call someone uh, to be king. And they basically had a big meal and got everyone together. And do you remember, they didn't even ask David to come to the house. He was a shepherd and he kept bringing the brothers before him. He said, no, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. And finally they said, is there not another brother? You know, isn't there another one? Samuel said, because this, this, these aren't the ones. And they go, well, yeah, we do have another brother, but he's out in the field tending to the sheep. He was so not considered in his family. He was so lowly in his family that he didn't even come to the big meal whenever the prophet of God wanted to meet with the men of God. And so he kind of had this idea that, you know, he really wasn't worthy of much love even to be, you know, brought into this meal uh, with the prophet of God. But David... He did. He was a man after God's own heart, but naturally, in his natural state, David had struggles in his life. One of the struggles he had was when he would continue. Remember, you know, Saul had two failed attempts of killing him. He had two failed attempts, but he kept trying to reconcile with Saul. Now, in other words, he still wanted to be loved, and and Saul was the king. And I don't want to, you know, minimize that or make that small. But at the same time, if someone's really trying to kill you, if someone's abusing you again and again, there is a time we need to take a time of separation. Joseph showed us that when he was abused by his brothers, even when they come back and reconciled, he put them in the land of Goshen a little ways away. He didn't bring them up close to him, but David would constantly still try to make things right with Saul. Now, I do know that we need to love all people, and I'll get into that and about what a good attachment style looks like. But the bottom line is, if someone's trying to kill us, I tell you, listener, if someone's trying to kill you, don't keep trying to make things right until you see some repentance, until you see some change. And David was really, if it wasn't for God's protection, David put himself in a very vulnerable position to King Saul. I mean, he kept trying to kill him. Of course, we know David respected Saul. And we preached about that and taught about that and how he said he couldn't put his hand on God's anointed. And that was such a great thing. But David could not continue in that idea of having these mixed feelings, you know, this love hate relationship. And David, we know, did turn. And but we need to turn and be able to trust God, but also know that unsafe people most of the time remain unsafe and left changed by the power of God. And we know that Saul was never changed by the power of God. But then also not only in Bivlin, but then there's an avoidant, an avoidant attachment style is the idea that they believe they are worthy of love and they're able to attain it. Now, this attachment style we see in the life of Michael. Do you remember Michael, King Saul's daughter? And Michael was given to David, and the scripture says in 1 Samuel 18, 21, that King Saul said this, you know, he wanted to kill him. He wanted to destroy him. And he said in 1 Samuel 18, 21, because of Saul's jealousy, we know that he was trying to kill David. But he says, I'm going to give my 
daughter to David to be a snare for him. So he didn't forgive her because he loved her, because he loved David. He thought that she was so uh, messed up, if you will, that she's going to be a snare to him. The thing about this attachment style is, is they only trust themselves. So he knew when he gave Michael, he gave his daughter to David, that she was going to trust in herself. That was the main trust she would have, that she was worthy enough for love, but she would trust in herself and not in David to protect her and to help her. And she would get, in this attachment style, you would get your needs met through performance. And so you would perform and perform, kind of like I said uh, on the ambivalent attachment style, but you would perform to be able to get this love. And it's kind of a, a superficial attachment. And that's the very word avoidant is to avoid. So it's kind of like you can be in a relationship, but you keep your distance. This is the person that you think is your best friend, but really they have no deep concern for you. And remember what Michael did when David was singing? She laughed at him. So she was married to David, loved David, but she was the one that laughed at David. She was in a relationship. She was married to the man, but then kind of pokes fun and makes fun of him. So she actually kept her distance enough away because most people, if you're married to them and then the spouse hurts, then you're hurt too. But Michael was able to detach from David. And it's kind of this bizarre idea that they're in a relationship, but they're kind of easily detached. So she stayed in that marriage with David, but yet she said, you know, for some reason she deemed David to be a kind of a fool, kind of made fun of him. She detached from him. Uh, And you know, this is a difficult place to be because if we can't truly attach to someone, and especially after salvation, we need to be able to attach to someone enough to be able to feel their pain, to be able to weep with those who weep, to be able to have joy with those who have joy. And if we don't truly deep someone, we stay avoidant from someone, you know, how can we really ever love someone that we don't really attach to? And I know not everybody can have a deep relationship with somebody, but if we're going to truly minister to someone, we need to be able to be close enough to them so when they hurt, we hurt too. That's how we minister to people. But then not only that, there was a disorganized attachment style. And the disorganized attachment style was King Saul. Remember how he was, you know, he loved David one minute, he wanted to kill him the next minute. And you remember King Saul, he was tormented by an evil spirit, the Bible said. And then David, he would come and play his harp and then he would calm him down. And it's amazing that King Saul never could adapt this idea that he loved David. King Saul could have had the greatest army in the world that the Israelites had ever seen if he would have just trusted David to help him. David loved him. David was going to fight for him. He was already fighting for him. But King Saul had this crazy disorganized idea of what love was, this attachment style. And King Saul just never got it. And now in the DSM-5, it talks about a personality disorder, the borderline personality disorder. And I believe that's what they would characterize. That's what we in our modern day, if he went to a psychologist, we'd say, King Saul, you have a borderline personality disorder. And I'm not making light of that nor fun of that. Some very people, some people that I know that I love dearly have been diagnosed with this. But the bottom line is it starts with an attachment style that says this is that person when they're in a marriage or they're in a relationship, they get give mixed messages to, you know, they say, uh, I've heard it said this way, come here, I hate you, or stay away from me, I love you. You know, there's there's contradictory things in their spirit and in their flesh. And naturally, there are people that if they don't get a right relationship with God, and they don't, now there's good people that are not saved. 
hear me now. There's good people that are not saved that can have good relationships. They are. Now, they can never truly love the deep love, the agape love, but they do a pretty good job at loving people. You know what? But there are some very saved people. They don't fix this attachment style in them. They will live a miserable life. They will not ever be able to find a relationship that will last because it's this mixed message. And people will not stay in a relationship with a person that, you know, says, come here close to me. I love you, but I want to kill you. And that was this, that's this disorganized or this borderline personality disorder that we see in the Bible. And it is a spiritual problem for Saul. We know that it was, but also it was something in the natural way of he attached to people. It's the way he saw life. It's the, that was deep down in his beliefs. You know, he says, I can't trust others. Even the ones that love me, I got to hurt them. And this is mostly people that have a history of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, and they've failed over and over to meet expectations of others. So they finally given up and said, the only way that I can win in this is be the stronger one or be the stronger hand. You know, King Saul wavered between trying to please Samuel, God, and people. King Saul was trying, he would consult Samuel, you know, and he'd ask him, and then Samuel go tell him to do it. And then remember, he's supposed to kill all the people. And then he said, what happened? What's the bleeding that I hear in my ears? And King Saul, you know, said, oh, I listened to the people, Samuel. So he would waver between, see, if we ever don't come clean to this disorganized attachment style, we can never truly please God and be obedient to God. And it's a dangerous place to be. But these people are emotionally distraught. They're stressed out. They're angry. They're mad. You know, they're abusers. And that's where a lot of our people in domestic violence that abuse their spouse and abuse others, that's where they, that's this detachment style. And sure, it's sin. And sure, it is sin that dwells in them. But these are habitual things they've learned from childhood. Some of the people, I feel very sorry for them. I'm not looking at this in a judgmental way. There are some people that have been treated like dogs, been treated like animals that have this attachment style. And we really got to dive into the depth of this and talk about, you know, their past and their history. You know, I have a pretty rough past, but comparatively to a lot of people, I've, I've had it pretty darn good. Been raised in a split home and things weren't perfect. And some so there's been some abuse in, in my home whenever I was young, but I wasn't treated like an animal. I mean, the abuse didn't go on for years and years. I've known people that were literally fed dog food. I've known children that were literally left to fend for themselves for weeks at a time. I've known children that were put in foster care, one home to another that never had anything stable, and they never really did understand love. And I think it's easy for some of us, I'm taking kind of a detour here, I think it's easy for some of us have been raised in good homes to see people like to say, well, you know, they're just not saved, or well, they're just never going to figure it out. When the truth is, us as the body of Christ, we have to step in and begin to love them and show them what true love looks like and love them in spite of themselves. Now, I'm not saying if they're trying to kill us, we need to stay connected to them, but I don't think there's a whole lot of people trying to kill us in the church today, but I think we need to understand that this is an attachment style. We need to talk to people about, hey, the way you're seeing these things aren't right. The thoughts you have toward people aren't right. These people love you. They're trying to help you. And these are many times people even in the church that will actually get mad and angry at the church, but we have to be willing to confront that and talk about that and say, hey, that's not true. You know, 
seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added into you. You know, faith, love, holiness, goodness, kindness, all these things will be added into you. But it is we have to get them to know the truth. And what? The truth shall make you free. Free from these bondages of these of these attachment disorders that we know that people have. So and then last but not least, I want to talk to you about the secure attachment style. This is the attachment style that we all need to work toward getting this secure attachment style. And that's that's the love that Jonathan had for David. He's the goal. The goal that we need to reach is that because Jonathan's name meant Jehovah, Jehovah has given. See, we have to, we can never truly have a deep relationship with God unless we feel we're worthy of his love. We need to be able to trust others. We need to be. We need to be able to have relationships with people that have depth to them, that we can actually be transparent with them. What did Jesus do? Jesus even allowed Judas close enough to hurt him because he knew he cared for his soul enough. He still believed that even though he was going to betray him, he still believed he had to have a relationship deep enough with him to where he could still minister to him. Not only that, but ultimately we need to be able to trust God deeply. You know, that the sovereignty of God, even when bad things happen, God's not hurt trying to hurt us. God's not trying to punish us, but God's allowing us the, to go through these things because ultimately he does love us. Jonathan loved David, the Bible says, as much as he loved his own soul. That's the love we need to have. What did Jesus say? There's no greater love than any man can have that he lays his life down for his friend. Jesus laid his life down for us. Our ultimate place to be is that we love others as much as we love ourselves and then prefer our brother. What's the Bible say? That we prefer our brother. He says that we're, even if someone strikes us, we're to turn the other cheek. I mean, that's the type of love we need to have for people. And the bottom line is, let me, let me say this, is I believe there's a lot of people in the church that can never truly be transparent. They have a problem with transparency. They have a problem with securely attaching and showing their true colors. Matter of fact, there's people in the church that have a hard time even ever sharing their testimony because they're just too much wrong. What would someone think if I was really real with them? Well, let me tell you what someone might think. They might think you're human, and it might give you a platform to actually be able to minister to them instead of having a superficial relationship. There's people in the house of God. It, it, it's a shame. There's people in the house of God that go into to church day in, day out that are carrying burdens, you know, carrying burdens on their back, that are carrying these deep, these heavy burdens of, of sin, these heavy burdens of addiction, these heavy burdens of what's going on in their home life, but they never share it with anyone because they can't truly be transparent. That's a shame, friends. That's a shame. We are to be able to go into the house of God and be transparent. That's why I love Sunday school classes. That's why I love people getting together with Bible studies and small groups and going out to eat and being transparent and real. Last night, I went out with five or six other people, and we were just able to be transparent and be open about some things. We need to be that as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to truly be transparent. And Jonathan was that with David. He knew him and loved him like his own soul. Ultimately, we need to have a deep faith in God that no matter what we say to other people, I'm not saying go air our dirty laundry, but I am saying there ought to be four or five people in your life that you can be real, real with. Matter of fact, I hope more than four or five because it's a busy world. And I tell people that you think about this. You take your grandchild if you're a grandparent, or you take your child if you are a parent, or you take your sibling or your mother if you are younger, and you think about that when you hug them, how you feel, and when you love them, how you feel, and when you 
do things with him, how good it makes you feel. That is a small, small impression of the idea we need to have toward God. The, the idea that we need to have toward our relationship with God is just a hint of the depth and the goodness that we have. And, and he's shown us through relationships, we can have this kind of intimacy, this kind of love, this kind of joy. I mean, when my granddaughter lays her head on me or my grandson lays his head on me, when they do, it makes me feel so good. And it's a deep, deep feeling inside that you have your love for them. That's the love that God's put in the body of Christ for one another, that we love one another, that we share with one another. You know, that we securely attach to people, even if they're not perfect. But most of all, we attach to God and we know that he loves us no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening. Friends, I know this has been a lot of information, but I want you to know that God wants us to attach to him and God wants us to have a good attachment style. His goal for us is to deeply love so we can have joy when other people have joy, when we hurt, when other people hurt, so we can truly be like him, a friend. This sticks closer than a brother. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. Until next time, God bless.